Welcome. On this crisp and cold evening, we're glad that you've joined us for our annual service of consolation. This is a time of year where lights are all around us. Cheery music streams through our cars and TVs, and most of the movies on TV end with a Christmas kiss or a jolly Santa Claus. But that's far from the reality for many of us. While I love Christmas just as much as I always have, it's become different, very bittersweet. I still begin listening to Christmas music on November 1st, much to many people's dismay. But each time I hear a certain song, I'm reminded of memories that won't be repeated. One of my favorite books of blessing includes this one, written by John O'Donohue. When you lose someone you love, your life becomes strange. The ground beneath you gets fragile. Your thoughts make your eyes unsure. And some echo drags your voice down where words have no confidence. Your heart has grown heavy with loss, and though this loss has wounded others too, no one knows what has been taken from you when the silence of absence deepens. So tonight, we acknowledge that no person in this room feels the same as another, and that each of us processes loss or loneliness or grief differently. Tonight, we want to make space for the sadness that you might be holding with you, and we hope that you might find comfort in knowing that the Christmas season has space for all of these things, too. Let's enter into a time of reflection together this evening. We walk this journey together. And for that, I give great thanks. I want to ask you to join me in prayer tonight. Each time you hear the phrase, God, hear our prayer, if you would respond with, 
and in your merciful love, answer. Lord, we want to recognize your place in this, your presence in this place tonight. Not only in the light of the candles that glow, but also in the mystery of the darkness that surrounds them. There are many gathered here tonight who have experienced loss, many who have been touched by the grief of death, by the disorientation of change, the exhaustion of illness, the loss of a job, the end of a relationship. In such times, we often lose our sense of your presence. Tonight, we ask that you would open our hearts to accept your presence, even in darkness, as you draw near to us. God, hear our prayer, and in your merciful love, answer. In particular, during this season of Christmas, these losses are a weight upon us, and the lights that once twinkled now seem to flicker. Loss tempers the joy in our hearts and causes our praise to catch in our throats. We find ourselves sleeping, but never rested. Our actions frenetic, but never fulfilled. And our eyes are like fountains of tears. May you bring peace to our lives. God, hear our prayer. And in your merciful love, answer. God who sees, we see turmoil and strife in our world, in our community, and in our own hearts. There we find injustice, racism, classism, indifference, and callousness. In our country, we know partisanship, hate, and fear, fear of our fellow citizens, and the objectification and neglect of the stranger. In our world, we experience the rampant will to dominate, endless campaigns to sow discord, the turning of nation against nation, man against man, woman against woman, so that the chasms in our world can be traced to the cracks in our own hearts. God, we pray that you would bring healing. God, hear our prayer, and in your merciful love, answer. And yet, the cracks are how the light gets in. God, who comes to be with us, who knows not only our joy but our suffering, who sees not only how our fear disfigures us, but how love makes us whole. Meet us here in the cracks in our lives and in the chasms of our world. Let your light and love pour through so that even though we mourn, we are not made numb to our mourning, so that even though we fear, we are not controlled by fear, so that even though we walk in darkness, a light shines upon us, so that though we are broken, we do not despair of never being made whole again. For we are woven together into your body by your own suffering and death, and we are bound together by the glory of your rising from the dead. God, attune our hearts to your comfort. God, hear our prayer, and in your merciful love, answer. won't go from manger low 
Calvary's hill. When your pain runs deep, his love runs deeper still. He has always loved you, child, and he always will. Somewhere in your silent night, heaven hears your song. Your broken heart is cried. Hope is here. Just lift your head for love has come to find you somewhere in your silent night. Lift your head. Lift your heart. Emmanuel will meet you where you are. He knows your A reading from the book of Isaiah. Now this is what the Lord says. He created you, people of Jacob. He formed you, people of Israel. He says, don't be afraid because I have saved you. I have called you by name and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you cross rivers, you will not drown. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not hurt you. This is because I, the Lord, am your God. I, the Holy One of Israel, am your Savior. I gave Egypt to pay for you. I gave Cush and Seba to make you mine. This is the word of the Lord. I love Bible stories. Mainly, I love stories about the people in the Bible. In fact, I love to hear about, read about, and even tell a good story, particularly when it's true. One of the things that I love about Mary Alice's sermons is how she weaves stories into her message. Some of these stories are about other people and their life experiences. Some of these stories are hers, and only she can tell them. All of us gathered here tonight have our own stories, and they're all different. They're stories that only we can tell. No one else can tell them for us. So tonight, as I tell you my story, I want to invite you, no, I want to encourage you to recall your own story and see if you can blend it with mine. The last time I shared my story about a significant event in my life, the tragic death of my dad and my older brother Tom, and the near death of my younger brother Randall. It was about 29 years ago, and there was a lot of life that was related to those relationships. It was important for me to share that because it's only in the richness and the depth of those relationships that we find the depth and the fullness of our grief. 
It's true, isn't it? When we love deeply and fully, the loss of that loved one is felt deeply and fully. Well, this coming January the 9th, it will have been 36 years since that event occurred. So my story and my grief continues to grow. And I continue to understand more about it. On January the 9th, 1984, about six months prior to finishing graduate school, I walked into our apartment after class to find Julie on the phone and in tears. As she hung up the phone, she said, it's your dad and Tom. There's been an accident. They died. I didn't recognize the sound that came out of me. It was the most primitive scream that sounded like a heart bursting from one's gut. Because mine had. It felt like someone had reached into my heart and soul and removed a part of me. A part of me that had always been with me. The only way that I made it through the next several days and weeks was that loved ones carried me. I, I like to think that I did my share of carrying others, but each and every step of the way, the visitation, the funeral, the family gatherings, were all simply overwhelming and more than I could do alone. Julie carried. Randall and I kind of carried each other. Family, friends were there for us and helped us make the smallest decisions alongside the most difficult ones. We often feel alone in our grief, but we also need not to be alone in our grief. Tonight, we are gathered together so that we are not alone in our grief. So I'd like to ask you to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to invite those significant support people in your life to join you here this evening. Those people that hold you up, that support you in your time of need. For several months after their deaths, I realized that my life perspective had changed significantly and permanently. Living life one day at a time was no longer a cliche. It had become the way of life. Everything had a memory attached. My emotions were raw and I was hypersensitive to anything that trivialized death or life for that matter. I felt guilty at times when I was laughing, finding pleasure in anything, or moving on with my life. But I also began to realize that there were parts of my relationship with my dad and brother that didn't die. You see, we had been living several states away for about three years and only saw our families on occasion. Cell phones and personal computers were only a concept on the Jetsons. I began to realize that there was a spiritual component to my relationships that were still very much alive and I continue to draw from today. In fact, just this past weekend, I was working on a project and I had a logistical problem and my dad helped me solve the problem and I think he had been pretty impressed with our solution. Having lost several other family and friends over the years has confirmed that they too are still with me. So as I pause for a moment again, I ask you to close your eyes again and invite those you have lost to join us here this evening.
feel their presence, their comfort, their encouragement. Remember who they were and who they are in your life today. About three weeks after the funeral, I returned to San Diego to finish my last semester only to stare exams and internship and dissertation squarely in the face. All of a sudden, none of it seemed very important to me. What's the point, I asked myself. I had just experienced the death of my 52-year-old dad in the peak of his life and my 30-year-old brother with two young children at the beginning of his life. So I spent a lot of time sitting and staring and staring and sitting. One day Julie came in from work and after a few minutes she came back and she said, Don, I don't even know the words to describe how I know you must feel but this would make your dad mad. I'll always thank her for that. She was spot on. I didn't take long for her truth to set in for me. There wasn't really anything that I was doing that was consistent with any of my life experiences related to these two deaths, but that was part of my loss the loss of connection to what I'd been taught to value. I realized over the next several months that the hole in my heart and soul wasn't my whole heart and soul. Along with the other significant people in my life, my dad and brother were also a part of me that was still living and still had purpose. As I mentioned earlier, this coming January the 9th will be 36 years since these losses occurred. I can remember clearly the first year of significant dates. Birthdays, Father's Day, Thanksgiving, Christmas, the anniversary of their deaths. Honestly, I dreaded each and every one of these days that first year, as I'm sure many of you have. I don't believe there's any right way to handle these dates. For me, I realized that my grief was the same every day. It didn't change with significant dates. If my memory is pricked on any day, significant or otherwise, I find myself simply allowing the presence of those lost to help me through their absence. Julie and I have had many life-changing experiences and blessings over the 35 years since. These have enriched our lives beyond measure. Children, grandchildren, graduations, engagements, weddings. Wonderful friends, challenging adventures. We've also suffered more deaths, more illnesses, miscarriages, challenges. All of these new experiences also highlight another reality of loss. It continues to grow. With each and every new life experience, the absence of those we love is felt in a new way. And sometimes it surprises me when I least expect it. It can be something big or the smallest of things, but also catch myself wishing for the presence of one of those that I've lost to experience the joy and the pain of what I'm going through in that moment. And when I invite them in, they're there. They join me. Many times, 
death isn't sudden. It comes after a, an acute or lengthy illness. Not only have some of us walked this journey with our own family, but we've also walked this journey with many of our Calvary family over the years. So let me pause again, ask you to close your eyes again, and invite our Calvary loved ones who have passed to join us here this evening as well. As Calvary family, we know that last April there was a significant date in our lives when Brenda Bradley was diagnosed with end-stage pancreatic cancer. It marked a point in time that Brenda, Randall, Hannah, and Isaac's lives were devastated and permanently changed. Ours too. We've all had the sacred privilege of knowing their journey as they have so eloquently shared it with us in countless ways. How do you anticipate and plan for death? Honestly, it's a question many of, of us have asked. I'm not sure there's a correct answer to that question, but what we are witnessing with the Bradleys is that they are living life fully. At the same time, they are approaching death honestly. Perhaps they're teaching us about both life and death. The other aspect of our loss that is sometimes difficult to navigate and understand is our faith journey. Honestly, that part of my journey is probably another story for another day. But I want to share with you that I'm certain, certain, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit were and are present with us in different ways at different times. Sometimes I know it in the moment. Sometimes I know it later, looking back on the moment. There's no greater comforter no greater encourager, no greater helper, no greater healer. So let me ask you to close your eyes again and invite the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to join you this evening and wrap their loving arms around you. Well, by now, we've got a packed house with us here this evening, packed full of loved ones. It reminds me of a fundraising event at Calvary several years ago in which we had a banquet at the Farrell Center. Uh, the event organizers had the dinner organized on the floor of the Farrell Center, and then they had placed sheets of paper with the names of former Calvary members on all of the seats. We were surrounded by over 10,000 former Calvary members. They joined us with their legacy and with their lives to celebrate that evening. It was the epitome of a whiteout. So, as we acknowledge the holes in our hearts and souls, the reality of our own mortality, the permanency of our loss, the growing nature of our loss, the heightened sensitivity to everything that reminds us of our loss, 
the permanent change in our life perspective. We can also acknowledge that we are not alone. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit are with us. All of those who support we depend on are available to us. All of those who have passed are still spiritually connected to us. And that living the life we still have to live to its fullest purpose brings the utmost respect to God, to our loved ones, and to ourselves. Thanks be to God. Jenny and I will lead us now in a litany of remembrance. We ask you to join us by re reading responsively. We light this Advent candle to remember those persons who have loved and lost. We pause to remember their names, their faces, and their voices. We give thanks for the memory that holds them to us in this season which anticipates Christmas. We light the second candle to redeem the pain of loss, the loss of relationships, 
the loss of jobs, the loss of health. As we gather up the pain of the past, we offer it to you, O God, asking that into our open hands you will place the gift of peace. Refresh, restore, renew us, O God, and lead us into your future. We light the third candle to remember ourselves this Christmas time. We pause and remember the past weeks, months, and for some of us, years of difficult times. We remember the poignancy of memories, the grief, the sadness, the hurts, the pain of reflecting on our own mortality. Let us remember the dawn. This fourth candle is lit to remember our faith and the gift of hope that God offers us in this Christmas story. We remember that God who shares our life promises us a place and time where there'll be no more pain and suffering. A few years ago, after the horrific shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School, December 14, 2012, Rachel Held Evans wrote these words that I return to every Advent. She says, those tiny little Advent candles sure have a lot of darkness to overcome this year. I see them glowing from church windows and on TV in homes and in midnight vigils. Their stubborn flames represent the divine promise that even the smallest light can chase away the shadows lurking in our world. And that even in the darkest places, God can't be kept out. It's a hard promise to believe today, I know. And although my doubt and anger make it hard for me to believe today, I will keep lighting my Advent candles like a fool until they help me in my unbelief. May their flames be a reminder to all of us 
that we don't have to know why God let this happen, to know that God was still there and here and in those swaddling clothes and on the cross and in that grave and on the throne. For no amount of darkness can overcome the light. I've read this text for several years as part of this service in one way or another, but these words are especially poignant tonight because the writer, Rachel Held Evans, actually passed away this year completely unexpectedly, leaving behind her husband and two small children. And so as we come to this space tonight, acknowledging our grief, pain, and loss, those tiny little Advent candles surely have a lot of darkness to overcome this year, too. At the same time, we come together tonight to remember that no amount of darkness can overcome the light. As John's gospel reminds us, this light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. And so tonight, you are welcome to come forward as you feel led to participate in what I believe is an act of resistance against the darkness. Come forward and light a candle tonight in honor of a person, a situation, or an experience of loss in your own life or in our world. There's no rush. You're feel free to take time to pray and to be still and to come forward if and when you feel led. John and I will also be on both sides of the room if you would like someone to pray with you in this time. After our time of reflection and candle lighting, the choir will come and lead us in our benediction tonight. After that, feel free to use this space however you need it, as long as you need it. And know that your Calvary family holds space for you tonight. Wherever you find yourself, know that you're not alone. These lights serve as a reminder that our God journeys with us, even in our grief, as we watch and wait and hope and pray for God's light to fully come. Amen. <laughs>